Hi, I'm Mark Lynch, director of the Project on Middle East Political Science. Welcome back to the POMEP's Middle East Political Science Podcast, our series of conversations with scholars working in the field. Uh, with us today is Laurence Louet. She's an associate professor at Sciences Po in Paris and the author of Transnational Shia Politics and also of Shiism and Politics in the Middle East, both published by Hearst and Columbia University Press. Uh, Laurence, uh, welcome to the podcast. Thank you. So you've been doing... Uh, an- a research on these transnational Shia networks and Shia politics in the Middle East for many years. Um, tell us a little bit about that research. What are some of the most interesting things that you've uncovered through this research and written about that people still just don't seem to understand? Yeah. So my, my focus was initially on the Gulf states. I did field work in, in Bahrain, in Kuwait, and in Saudi Arabia on the Shia Islamic movements. And one of the most interesting findings was that these movements were actually much more connected to Iraq and to the centers of of knowledge in Iraq, Najaf and Kabbalah, than to Iran. And uh, uh, it was a a, a discovery because the literature that we had, uh, uh, which had been written mostly in the 80s, that is after the Islamic Revolution, was really concentrating on how uh, the revolutionary dynamics exported what was exported from Iran to the Gulf countries in Bahrain and Saudi Arabia in particular. Uh, uh, But they did not realize that actually these movements, these Islamic revolutions, movements were born from uh, uh, transnational networks connecting uh, Najaf and Kerbala to, uh, uh, to the Gulf countries. What, what, what do these networks look like? Like, how does a network function in, in a case like this? When you say uh, a transnational Shia network, what exactly do you mean? Well, in Najaf in particular, uh, uh, Najaf is a cosmopolitan city where you have professors and students who are coming from all over the all around the Shia world, mm-hmm. if you want, so uh, you have uh, Bahraini students, uh, Bahraini professors, etc., and uh, the Shia Islamic movements in Iraq, mostly El Dawa, uh, was created. I mean, it stemmed really from this milieu uh, of mm-hmm. professors and teachers, which was totally transnational, uh, connected people from different corners of the Shia world. So people are coming there to study. Yes, They're coming to there study. To... Uh, Mm-hmm. Um, Ali Sistani himself is mm-hmm. an Iranian, and he was trained in Najaf. He's living in Najaf for for more than sixty years, but he's basically is an Iranian. And so you have many mm-hmm. cases of of people uh, uh, like that who are basically not Iraqis uh, um, who are living in Najaf. And so these movements, uh, the Dawa movement in particular, was not. Uh, um, thinking about itself only as an Iraqi movement, but as a mm-hmm. as a movement concerning all the Muslim world, Mm -hmm. and so it developed networks in several uh, uh, Shia communities outside of Iraq, uh, um, in Lebanon, uh, and and then the Mm Dawah cell in Lebanon became Hezbollah uh, in the 80s. In Bahrain, in Kuwait, actually a lot of Dawah leaders, officials, were in exile in Kuwait in the 70s, uh, uh, Hmm. after the repression. They lived in Kuwait for for many years before uh, leaving to to Iran after the Islamic Revolution. And so these uh, um, Shia Islamic movements uh, actually are made of professors and students of the seminaries of uh, hmm. of Najaf, if you so want. So like personal relationships, Absolutely. and they travel back home, but they sustain those relationships Absolute. over time. Absolutely, yeah. How do they become politicized? How do these go from educational relationships into these political movements? It's because the, the house of Najaf, meaning the, the religious seminary of Najaf, got politicized 
in the 50s because after the, the end of the monarchy uh, uh, in Iraq, uh, uh, and this is basically because the higher religious authority got politicized. And we have uh, what is different between uh, Sunni Islamism and Shia Islamism is that we have a big continuity uh, within Shia Islamism between the traditional clerical authorities and the the Islamic militants. You know, Mohammed Bakr al-Sadr is one of the main ideologues of uh, Shia uh, uh, Islamism. He's coming from a very famous and traditional uh, family of Shia clerics. Khomeini, the same thing, you know, mm -hmm. he's not an outsider. Uh, uh, he really comes from a, from a family of science. So we see the same actors, uh, you know, and so the, 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 you don't have a rupture, I would say, between the milieu of, uh, of the scholars, the professors, and, and the students, and the milieu of the activists and the ideologues. So people are coming from Bahrain or from Kuwait or Lebanon or whatever, and instead of just getting religious education, they're also getting saturated in these new political ideas. Absolutely. And it's, it's because it's part of, uh, of, of what the, the, the religious authority uh, in these mm -hmm. seminaries is seeing as, as something natural. It's part of Islam, you know, to teach about politics. So, and there's multiple networks then that come out of these seminaries and come out of these relationships. Could you describe some of the most important ones of, of the important networks? Well, the, the, historically, the most important network was the network of Najaf, the Najaf yeah. network, okay? Uh, and it is still a very important network, although it's not only a political network. And, and I would even say that it has been depoliticized. Uh, um, uh, over the the past few decades, um, and uh, then you have a, a historically also a rival network of the Najafi network, which was a Karbala network. It was based mm -hmm. in the city of Karbala. It was uh, 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 woven around the family, uh, uh, the the El Shirazi family, a family uh, uh, of scholars. And this network was especially and is still very important in some Gulf countries. In Kuwait, for example, mm -hmm. they are still very influential. Uh, in Saudi Arabia, historically, uh, uh, Shia Islamism is uh, uh, Shirazi Islamism. You know, it's really mm -hmm. this network which was uh, and still is very active. And then after the Islamic Revolution in Iran, uh, a new network appeared, an Iranian-based network. Mm. But what is very interesting is that in the beginning, the brokers of the influence of the Islamic Revolution outside of Iran were these Iraqi networks, the Najafi networks and the Kabbalah networks. In Bahrain, for example, the Kabbalah network, the Shirazi network, they were the main brokers of the exportation mm. of the revolution. Same thing in Saudi Arabia. Uh, it is only, um, we could say, after um, 1982 that the Iranian central state tried to regain control of these networks who were, which were rather autonomous and, 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 and to, to, you know, to establish its own transnational networks, which is called until today the Hezbollah network. Mm -hmm. uh, Hezbollah network, it means the, the network of people who recognize the validity of the Wilayat al-Faqih doctrine, Mm -hmm. meaning the government by, uh, by, uh, by a higher-ranking uh, Shia cleric. See, one of the things which is really interesting about your books is that you, you trace these transnational networks, which is this kind of common, uh, this common network, but you show that it plays out very differently in the different countries. 
um, uh, Kuwait, Bahrain, Saudi Arabia, Lebanon, wherever they go, they're very much influenced by local conditions. Absolutely. So take a take a country like Bahrain, for example. How do these networks inter intersect with the uh, conditions on the ground in Bahrain to produce a particular type of politics? Well, I think uh, a major trend that we have seen uh, since the 90s, that is since uh, uh, basically the end of the policy of exporting the revolution by the Iranian state. And, and there, was, there was quite a bit of this uh, exporting of revolution in the 1980s. Yes, yes, in, definitely. In, in, into the Bahraini Shia community. Yeah, yeah, of course. There has been a, a, mm -hmm. an attempt, a coup attempt in 1980. 81 uh, uh, in Saudi Arabia there, there was a, an intifada an uprising uh, mm -hmm. in uh, 1979 all inspired by, by Iran so there was such a policy of exporting the revolution through violent means political violence etc subversive actions terrorist actions uh, uh, even but after the 90s uh, uh, the Iranian policy changed because of internal uh, transformation within right. the Iranian regime itself the, the rise of the so-called pragmatic uh, uh, leaders, etc., and uh, uh, so so things changed a lot, and and the Shia Islamic movements, for example, in Bahrain, in Saudi Arabia, they felt that they were not supported anymore uh, by mm -hmm. by Iran in their project to overthrow the regimes, etc. So they had to rethink completely their ideology and their strategy, and they became reformists. Most of them, the the most interesting case is the Saudi the Saudi case. Uh, 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 they, they changed their name so mm -hmm. they, they were calling themselves the organization for the Islamic revolution in the Arabian Peninsula and they became in 1991 the reform movement so with a really national approach uh, uh, to, mm -hmm. to politics uh, the agenda was basically to, to negotiate with the Saudi government uh, to negotiate a place for themselves not uh, maybe as political leader, but more generally as community leaders, as the legitimate representatives mm -hmm. of the Shia community in Saudi Arabia, able to speak in the name of the Shias, to negotiate with the government, etc. And it worked, because they, 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 they succeeded to, to settle a deal with, with the Saudi government. And uh, In places like that, how did the political networks that you're, or uh, these religious networks that you're describing, mm -hmm. how does that intersect with this change in Iranian policy? Were some networks uh, more aligned with Iran than others, or how, how does that play out when you see this shift from revolutionary action to more of this mainstream political? Yes, there are networks who are still very much connected to Iran, and who, which are still saying that we support the Wilayat al-Faqih doctrine, etc. We have in Saudi mm -hmm. Arabia the Hezbollah al-Hijaz, for example. But the Hezbollah al-Hijaz is a very small uh, uh, group of people. You know, it's mm -hmm. not, a, a, I would say, a, a mass movement. And so other networks then rise up yes. to... Yes, and the reform movement, which is initially a Karbala-based Movement. It's really inscribed, uh, embedded in, in this uh, transnational network of, of the Shirazi uh, uh, family, uh, 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 this movement. I mean, the networks are still existing. You know, the, the, mm -hmm. the, the people, uh, uh, the Shirazi people in Saudi Arabia, they know the Bahraini uh, Shirazi activists, uh, they know the Kuwaiti ones, uh, uh, they help each other, they meet each other. So the networks are still active, are still there, but in each country, uh, uh, the movements are following their own agenda, you see, and mm -hmm. they adapt to the local context. When there is room 
for negotiating with the government. They go for it and they negotiate. And, and so they can adopt quite different profiles. For example, in Bahrain, the Shirazi network is still very radical in his approach to, to, to the government. They refused to participate in the elections in the 2000s. Uh, uh, and, and they've always said that, but they don't trust, they don't believe in negotiating with the government which is a totally different behavior than the Saudi uh, Shirazi network, if you want. So what we saw from the 90s onward is, is a more and more local and national approach to politics. It's the end, basically, of the big ideologies of the 80s, the big revolutionary ideologies that, that what was done in Iran could be done in Iraq and could be reproduced in, in Bahrain and in Saudi Arabia. Now uh, the leaders of this movement have understood that the nation state actually is the main framework for politics. And so what you're saying then is even though these are networks, they're not really centrally directed Absolutely. or controlled. Absolutely not. You, you don't have a, a central direction. You have, these networks are connected to marjaiyas, that mm -hmm. is the higher, uh, uh, the supreme Shia religious authority. Uh, for example, the Shirazi network, they recognize the, the authority of uh, Sadiq Shirazi today, who is based in Iran, but was born in Karbala. Uh, or, uh, the Iranian Hezbollah networks, they recognize Ali Khamenei, the supreme uh, uh, guide of the Islamic Republic, as their religious authority. So they are, they are connected to these authorities. But these authorities, they do, do not um, give orders, do this and do that. Right. Even the relationship between Hezbollah in Lebanon and Ali Khamenei is not... It's much more complex than that, you know. So if Ali Sistani says, um, participate in elections, people will listen to him, but yeah. he can't order them to do it. No, he can't, because uh, a, a quite dominant and mainstream view uh, today among Shia Islamic movements is that uh, uh, religious authority can't meddle in local politics, because someone like Ali Sistani, for example, is living in Najaf, he doesn't travel, uh, uh, he doesn't know really Bahraini politics, for example. Mm -hmm. So he, if he says, as he did apparently, I mean, uh, mm -hmm. Bahraini activist said that, that he, he made a fatwa uh, in 2006 in order to say to Bahrainis, go to the pool uh, mm -hmm. for the elections. Uh, so he apparently said that. Uh, but it was only an advice, you know, it, and it was taken as an advice uh, uh, and not as an, as an order, not as a fatwa, strictly speaking, uh, meaning. Because uh, uh, in Bahrain, people were saying, look, Ali Sistani, we respect him very much, but he can't uh, meddle in the details of our political situation. You know, he can, he can mm -hmm. give broad, uh, broad uh, point of views like, it's legal, religiously speaking, to participate in elections. Mm -hmm. Democracy is a is a valid political system from a religious point of view. Okay, mm -hmm. but his authority don't do, doesn't extend beyond that very general uh, point of view, if you want. So there was a very big debate in 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 Bahrain in two thousand and six about this famous so-called fatwa of Sistani, mm -hmm. uh, saying you should participate in the elections with, with people basically saying. It doesn't. It can't meddle in our politics, you know, because it doesn't know really what's happening in in Bahrain. Now, if so, for someone who knows like the the formal level of Bahraini politics, mm -hmm. but doesn't know these networks, do they map on kind of one to one? For example, if you look at the Al Wafaq. yeah, is that one network and then a different uh, movement or party? 
represents another network or are there multiple networks that are involved in each of these political groupings? No, uh, El Wefaq is, is really uh, um, a case of what I called the domestication, the domestication of, of Shia uh, politics. Because El Wefaq was born in uh, 2001 as a project to unify, to gather all the different trends of Shia political Islam in Bahrain. So uh, Shia Ali Salman, who was the, the head of, of El Wefaq, wanted to reconcile the Shirazi activists and the pro-Iranian activists, because the two were really rivals and uh, etc., uh, in order to build a Bahraini political movement dealing with Bahraini political issues. And he wanted in particular to, to put aside this very big debate and very often bitter debate about the validity of Wilayat al you know, and it was one of the of the bones of contention between uh, uh, the Dawa network in Bahrain and the Shirazi network. Uh, the Shirazis mm -hmm. they do not recognize anymore the Wilayat al faqi doctrine, while the Dawa people they, they do. Okay, mm -hmm. so uh, basically, Ali Salman said, "Look, we don't care about that. It's not important for our business. That is Bahraini." political situation, shall we participate in the election, how shall we do it, shall we make an alliance with the crown prince, shall we, etc. So it domesticates it and then does it, so and then incorporates people from all the networks and tries Absolutely. to become a broad front. Absolutely. Although Wifak was always dominated by the Dawa people, uh, uh, mm -hmm. uh, because the Shirazis were always a, a smaller faction. Mm -hmm. uh, anyway, but the project of Ali Salman was really to gather all, all these people, and to include also, very interesting, some Shia notables mm -hmm. who were representative of their community at a very local level in a village, in a quarter of Manama, mm -hmm. etc. So it was a, a catch-all movement. Now, what about in a country like Kuwait, where the Shia have a, you know, a kind of a more normal central position within the political sphere, as opposed to Bahrain or Saudi Arabia, where they face these kind of discriminatory regimes? How do those networks play out then in a place like Kuwait? Um, interesting. For example, the Shirazi Kerbala network was always very radical. I mean, before the 90s, in Bahrain and uh, in Saudi Arabia. But in Kuwait, they were always uh, reformist. They had a very close relationship with the ruling family. They were able, because of this relationship, uh, uh, to build a lot of institutions, um, a, a religious seminary, uh, a library, uh, lots of Husseiniyas, you know, these specific Shia uh, religious um, buildings. Uh, and uh, they, they are, they were, and they still are very well connected to the merchant notability. Um, and they never considered that Kuwait was a target. They always thought that the situation of the Shia there was okay, and so that, that they should work, you know, in collaboration, in cooperation mm -hmm. with, uh, with the government. And this is because the situation, as you said, uh, the situation of Shias in Kuwait was always good. And in particular, the relationship between the ruling family and the Shia community uh, 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 was excellent because when, because opposition to the ruling family in Kuwait always came from the Sunni merchant oligarchy, now from the Sunni tribal uh, segments of the society, from some segments of, of Sunni uh, um, Islamic activists. And, and so the ruling family and the Shia communities 
were both the targets of, of these kind of opposition. So that's the reason why the, the Shias were always a, a major constituency of the ruling family. And it and it still is very much the case today. Now with with the um the transformations in Iraq with the overthrow mm-hmm. of Saddam Hussein and the empowerment of the Shia community um, and uh, you know the rise of Ali Sistani, how does this change the balance between these different networks? Does does it um, does it have notable effects outside of Iraq, or does that also become mostly an Iraqi affair? I think it is. I don't think that it has changed a lot the structure of the transnational Shia networks. It hasn't changed the agenda of the different movements in the different countries. It hasn't empowered the Najaf network over the Dawa network or anything like that? No. That's interesting. No. Um, But it has changed the perception that the rulers have of their Shia communities, of their Mm. Shia population. Um, And uh, uh, um, to take the example of the Gulf, the rulers were extremely uh, afraid of... uh, some potential, you know, enthusiasm of, mm-hmm. of the Shias in Bahrain and Saudi Arabia in particular, that these people would mobilize, as they did after the Islamic Revolution in Iran, to, to demand things, to try to overthrow the regime, etc., and that, that they were afraid to witness another uh, uh, era of radicalization. And in order to prevent that, they uh, entered in, uh, 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 in politics of recognition, Mm-hmm. So they said yes to some demands uh, of the Shia leaders pertaining to their uh, religious freedom. And so there were several, uh, a lot of improvements actually. And, and Saudi Arabia, Arabia mm-hmm. was the most interesting cases uh, 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 where the Shias were really able uh, to build mosques, for example, which was extremely difficult before, uh, 2000 and, before 2004. The, 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 the court system of the Shias was completely reshuffled, so new judges were appointed uh, uh, and uh, the, the courts were given more financial means in order to, to exist, etc. Uh, the, represent- the, the, the Shia Islamic activists, uh, the, uh, they, they, they won the elections, in, mm-hmm. the municipal elections in 2005, and so they became somehow institutionalized as the official representatives of the Shia communities. Uh, uh, and so a lot of positive steps were taken by the Saudi government in order to prevent any kind of subversive influence uh, of uh, the Iraqi uh, based networks, if you want. But it's interesting that the Kuwaitis did the same. For example, the Kuwaitis, they said yes to an old demand of the Shia communities that they should have a separate Waqf administration within the, the Ministry of Islamic Affairs. Mm. Uh, 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 the Qataris, for example, uh, uh, appointed for the first time a Shia. Uh, Qadi, a Shia religious judge, in order to judge for the family affairs of the of the of the Shia community. So, you know, everywhere and and the Ashura rituals were authorized to be practiced in 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 the public sphere, in the public space, in Kuwait, in Oman, uh, and so, you know, as if really the the fear of this Shia crescent, as uh, Abdallah Jordan said, had been uh, um, fostering. You know, I've been pushing the, the the Gulf leaders to to improve. I would say. And the, then after two thousand eleven, they go in the exact opposite direction. Absolutely, but I think uh, uh, it it is because 
there was this process of recognition and of cooptation somehow uh, 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 that 2011 was really experienced as a shock and as a treason you know uh, saying look we we gave them this and that and uh, 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 the first time they had the occasion to take to the streets and to demand more they did it so these people are unreliable we gave them things and the result is just that so these people they are not loyal there's nothing we can do except to use a big stick and to repress them i, I think the, the mm. this repression phase that we are witnessing now is also very much the result of the other strategy that, that they tried to, to, to use after 2003. Well, thank, we've been speaking with Laurence Louet, uh, Associate Professor at Sciences Po and the author of Transnational Shia Politics and Shias in Politics in the Middle East. Uh, Laurence, thanks for joining us. You're welcome.